0: Welcome back to Following No on Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 166, and we are entering part three of The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson.
1: Paul, how are you? I am excited. We are flying through. I, I always say I'm excited on here, but, you know, it's true. It's true because this book is really exciting. Um... And I'm excited to talk about it with y'all. I'm excited to hear what Elliot has to say. I have to say, right quick, as as a side note, this book was the one of the three, three in this little trilogy, that I was most nervous to reread. Okay. Like, I didn't know if I would enjoy rereading it specifically or things like that, and I really have. I've really enjoyed it. It's really, you know, engaging and action-packed and mystery and stuff, so... Uh, Anyways, that's just my side note. So, Elliot, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing, but I'm struggling a little bit
2: with the the pace that we've set in this book, only because it's different. We we've intentionally gone quickly through the first part of this book to get to lange type material and future books we need to we need to get to. So, going a little bit quicker through some of this has been a, a change of pace.
0: Sounds good. Last week, it ended with Ellen being deposed as king from the assembly. And so that's where we pick up at the beginning of part three. Let's go ahead and roll intro, and then we'll have Elliot do a summary of events for today. All right, Elliot. What okay, happened? to our... we... Okay.
1: I'm fixing my my little uh, light over here. Fell. You were I, you were rather. I, there was like one little, little smudge. Bit. Yes, I sure was. There was one little smudge, and I was like, Ooh, "I'm gonna get that." And then I just watched it. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyways. Anyways, proceed as as usual. Sorry about that,
0: Elliot. You want to go ahead and summarize. Or chapters twenty-eight through thirty-three for today.
2: Sure thing, twenty-eight through thirty-three, roughly first half of part three. Here we start out like you said with Ellen having just been deposed by his own Congress, essentially, and uh, it starts out with you know discussion where our our crew is really pushing Ellen to. Resist to find a loophole, to find a way to reassert his his dominance over the the people and the government, and not just take this lying down. And and Ellen uh, refuses. He he says, nope, that's the law. They use the the law appropriately. I'm gonna I'm gonna abide by this. Definitely an an honorable approach there. As we move through the chapters here, Vin has several chats with Orsur her chandra, little dog buddy who's following her around they kind of delve into a couple of different topics which we'll uh we'll talk about here says that is doing some more research on the uh the rubbing that he got from the creepy inquisitor place so learning a few things there ben is still doing more reading of the, the logbook and theorizing about the deepness and things like that Do lots of interaction with the the assembly and we get a very interesting scene where the assembly is talking about nominates uh, nominating folks for king and uh, Lord Set just stands up out of the crowd and says, "Oh yeah, throw my hat in the ring," on uh, on that. And uh, shortly after that, enters the the city and uh, takes up residence in the in the city of Luthadel with them. And then, yeah, some more discussions, and we close with then thinking she has potentially found the the spy, finally.
0: I shouldn't have laughed, but your choice of words was ironic, because you said Set stands up out of the crowd, but it... (laughs) it,
1: (laughs) I didn't catch that until...
0: He deliberately doesn't do that (laughs) because he's paralyzed, but... (laughs)
2: Fair, <laughs> fair. <He> metaphorically, <laughs>
0: rises yes. from the crowd yes. to uh,
1: to enter himself in the drawing. Uh, anyway, so I have to I have to interject now too. I didn't think of that, Trevor, but I did. I did like think Elliot was saying something funny because he said he you know, rose up to throw his hat in the ring. I thought he was going to throw say like throw his name in the hat. And I thought he was just messing up, like the the saying, like right, put your name in the hat or whatever. And and I just was like distracted by that the entire time, which doesn't matter at all. But that's just that's just, of course, what I'm thinking about. So, I, your your idiom was probably better. I probably did butcher it. <laughs> uh, the, both are sayings. Both are fine. But both are correct. I just thought you were gonna say name in the hat whenever I heard the word hat, and and i thought it was a blunder and it was not well sa- it was well said after all i just uh had to make it different Spe- in my brain you know
0: speaking of well said Ellen has spent the whole last year between books drafting this military code from all of the literature and all of the like biographies of history that he's been reading um he he creates this uh, checks and balances in his new government. And then his new government uses said checks and balances to depose him at the end of Part 2. And then entering Part 3, Dachshund and Breeze are like, okay, so how are we going to take back the city? How are we going to, you know, chokehold the assembly out of out of their power? How do we get you back in the throne? And Elend is like, we're not? We're gonna we're gonna do what this law says and let him reelect a new king because that's what I wrote in the book and that's what I believe. And they all kind of look at him in the scene like, "You're serious, aren't you?" I didn't I didn't think you were serious. So I actually really like Ellen. Ellen up until this point has kind of been I'm gonna get a little hate for this has kind of been Adolin-esque in the first two books of Stormlight. He's kind of just there, and the goody-two-shoes kid and doesn't really have much of a personality to me, except for when he, when you get to hear the whole first half of this book, I kind of feel like, has been Ellen and Ellen's coming into his own character type thing. Because, you know, first book we spend time with Kelsier and Vin, Kelsier dies, um, and then we get a good portion of Ellen character development at the beginning of this book. So as we've gotten more of that, I, Ellen has certainly grown on me, and I think this is where ex- this is where I would rank him among my favorite characters. Um, in this moment where he decides to give up the
1: throne legally, um, so what do you guys think of of this? I definitely agree with you on Ellen's character. I was gonna say something whenever you said I'm probably gonna get a lot of hate for this. I had a thought pop in my head that probably will garner more hate. And I was like, up until this point has Ellen just kind of been like the the love interest for Vin, you know? Right. Um he's done a lot more than that, but uh but honestly not, not a ton. Like we don't see that much of him. So what we've mostly seen of ellen's character up to this point has been surrounding Vin or in in some way shape or form you know but now it it feels like in this book now ellen is like is one of the point of views you know is up there next to Vin, but as a as a main character not as a side character not just as a, a love interest yeah and um so far, I, I really like it. I, I like how we gain depth to his character. I'm really going on a little rant about Alan in general. I feel like we gain a lot of depth whenever we see him with his father, him and his father's camp. Um, It's just like <laughs> understanding how horrible his father is. Like, I feel like it adds a lot of perspective into his character. It, like. It, I feel like you wouldn't look at his character and how he acts and be able to tell that but just like provides a lot of depth of his character as to like what has he been through? What has he seen? What has he been a part of? How has life been for him? Like we know it's difficult and I feel like we gain a lot of sympathy for him. Yeah. And then now we see him being just very honorable, very I guess trustworthy or or just, you know, he's a rule follower, right? Um Maybe some would argue to a fault here, uh, but yeah, but it, it's it's interesting. He's he's a pretty he's shaping him to be a really cool character. So,
2: and the potentially the influence I think that is led him down this path, or maybe unlocked this ability within him, is obviously Tindwell. She has been a huge influence on him with her king lessons, or whatever you want to call them. I think it's clear that king Ellen coaching had this... Or
1: something. Yeah. There, there you go. King coaching. That's what I'm going to call it. King coaching, yeah.
2: It, I think it's clear Ellen had this character, this, this innate virtue within him already. Hindwell has just added confidence to it. She's come in and added in authority to Ellen's already kind of built in want to do the right thing want to follow the rules now it's ellen who wants to do the right thing follow the rules and is going to stand up to you and tell you how you're wrong for wanting to cheat the rules a little bit
0: yeah i think i think servant leader was already built in um but now yeah adding authority and confidence is certainly the uh was was the missing piece from book 1 to book 2 there,
2: there's a part of one of their conversations which I thought summarized this really well. I'm, I'm going to steal the mic here and, and read it for a second. Ellen smiled. You can change my clothing and my bearing, but you can't change the soul of who I am. I'll do what I think is right, and that includes letting the assembly depose me if that is their choice. Like That right there was was the moment where you saw man, he's, he's really sticking to his, his guns here. He's, he's going to take the fall because he thinks that's the right thing to do because that's what the law allows the assembly to do.
0: Do you guys think he should have put that in his code or should he have been a benevolent dictator?
3: So, so that uh, is a
2: really big question because you're it, it seems simple. In the context of a, of a novel, should should Ellen have made that choice? Yes or no. But but what you're really asking is, what is the correct form of government for a <laughs> no. people who have recently freed themselves from a tyrant? <laughs> no, no, no.
0: That's not what I'm asking. No, uh, within yeah, it is. Well, okay. Well, it, it might kind be. Of is. It kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> within, within the context of what we have here, we have a newly freed city. We have a ska population who has never been or has never had any say in in the government, and you know that you're about to have at least one, if not what it, what it turns out to be three armies come to take your city, whether you like it or not. Um, so at least for like the short term, I it, here's my question: for should he have taken? benevolent dictatorship for the short term and then written in once i'm gone then it goes to a, a an assembly and sh- should he have taken the reins harder than he does it's
2: it, it, it's still the it's still the civics question because it's no matter how benevolent your current dictator is if that's the system of government that you put in place, wh- what does that become over time? Right. Yes. You, you stand yourself up with emergency powers to do whatever you want for right. until the crisis is done, and then I'll give you back the power. Like, okay, if you have someone who's incredibly virtuous and always says the right thing, great. That is, that is definitely going to be the most effective form of government. But the moment someone with slightly shadier motives takes that role by force, is given that role, it falls to them, inherits it, whatever. Now you've built another system that the people cannot defend themselves in. And so it, for, me, for me, it absolutely comes back to the whole uh, what, what kind of government are you trying to build? Are you trying to build one where the people have power? Because if you want to build a system where the people have power, they're going to have power. That's fair.
0: Anything else for does government? There's a big question next on the outline that I want to get to, but if we have anything else.
1: I, I think this is, I do have some thoughts on this, and my thoughts are not very helpful. It's that I think this is maybe the most difficult question us as a reader in the real world look at. Like, mm-hmm. like we, the reader, with our outside perspective, are like, I can look at this and, from my perspective, I could say, I think Ellen is the best leader, for, them right now, for Luthadel. It is Luthadel, right? I feel like I'm blanking on that. It is Luthadel, yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, I, I know that Ellen is the best leader right now for Luthadel. But if he were to, if, if he wrote this law and then was outed by that law, and then tried to superimpose himself anyways, then that is like, we we can look at that and be like, that's pretty wrong. I mean, he would, you know, as he is right now, I think it's safe to say he would use that for a purpose to do good, but it gets really muddy. If he does go out and does other things to to be productive, to be beneficial then then he it's at least not muddy it's sad (laughs) because we want him to be the leader here but it's it's at least not wrong if you will it's it's still like kind of it's it's like a that doesn't feel quite right but it's not wrong And the other way is like kind of wrong it's not like a right and wrong it's like a point five one way and point five the other or something like that is how I is how I've been thinking of it
0: yeah I guess my my original question I didn't I didn't mean for it to go super civics heavy was (laughs) did (laughs) what is Ellen caught up too much in his civics it would it would it have been right for him to take in full control of the city for for the good of the people, temporarily. Like, his honestly, civics his civics books tell him no, but my question is, should he shove that for a little bit and get get things done in the short term?
1: Yeah, honestly, he should have waited a little bit to do this, I think. Like, he kind of came right out and said, all right, if you want to get rid of me, you can. And then, like they did, You're like great, so, like, kind of <laughs> right out of the gate. And so it's like, well, I mean, that makes it tough, you know.
2: He also intentionally didn't go to any of their meetings, so right he he, he was kind of showing them the, the hand, if you will, don't talk to me. I not not to drag out this discussion for too long, but I, I contrast this in my mind to. Healthier and breeze in book one. It's a similar question of: Do you violate someone's rights to do what's right for them? Do you emotionally manipulate someone to stand up for themselves and rebel against the government that's abusing them? Is that okay? Do you take all the power for yourself so that you could defend the people, even when they don't want you to be the person who's defending them? It's kind of a question in the same vein for me, and. Breeze slash Kelsier take the opposite approach that Ellen is taking here. Breeze will happily manipulate people to force them question mark to do the right thing, whereas Ellen says nope, if they want if they want to make the wrong choice, I'm going to let them make
0: the wrong choice. All right then finally ask the question I think in chapter twenty nine maybe that we have been asking or maybe it's been an unsaid question but it's, i feel like it's a fairly obvious one for those who who think about it for a little bit is the deepness the mist that that seems to be an aha question aha moment question for vin and she runs to Sazed and says i figured it out the the deepness is the mist and Sazed kind of looks at her and says you. This is not an original thought, Vin. I'm. I'm sorry that you thought it was, but th- there's a couple problems with that. So the the deepness claims to like have starved everybody out and killed many many people and stuff like that. And the the nefarious nature of some of the reports that Caesar has collected in the first half of this book seems to lead us that direction. That the the mist is gaining sentience and attacking people um, across the final empire. And so Vin then comes to the conclusion, and and the mist seems to be like hanging around for a couple more minutes each day or something like that. Or like as the sun rises, the mist like fights a little harder um, to stick around. And that's the moment that Vin realizes, oh, the deepness is the mist. But Sazed points out two, I think, two big problems with that. 1 if the if the deepness was the mist why does the mist still come if we defeated the mist so or if we defeated the deepness so lord ruler present or not if the lord ruler defeated the deepness why is it still come during the night and why is it still come during the night when he's when the lord ruler's dead second question why was the mist not around for the logbook? Um, did I say that right? What the, the mist was not present when the logbook was written, and the deepness was. So that's a problem. If you're if you're not writing about the mist, but you are writing about the deepness, then Sazed's arguing they can't be one and the same thing.
2: And I was definitely thinking along the lines of way but that's way too obvious right you know, when when the deepness was first mentioned the very first time of course the mist is exactly the first thing i thought of Ooh, uh a dark shapeless evil something that's kind of everywhere and got defeated oh you mean kind of like the mist that's everywhere that clearly can't be the deepness because the deepness has been defeated you know immediately i go down that train and dismiss that thought quickly so for vin to arrive at this as this big old epiphany is it, kind of a head scratcher for me of like Hmm. I I feel like I mentally dismissed that as an option
3: at 800 pages ago. Right. I mean,
1: no logical basing for this, but I <laughs> was kind of on Vin's side. <laughs> it's a great way to start a sentence, yes. No, no logic in this. No thoughts. Just, like, reading through the story and hearing Vin say that she thinks it's the mist, I, like, I don't know. I just agreed. I was like, I think she's right, even though I didn't know anything. I'm like, that sounds cool. Like, the mist is the deepness, you know. I, I have no no, no further explanation, no further uh, thoughts in that. I'm just like, yeah, I think that's it. The end. Uh, don't even know what that means yet. You know, we don't even understand, like, really what the deepness, like, is or does or was or
3: whatever. I I will say,
2: without going into spoilers. I was I was quick to mentally not consider the mist as the deepness in book 1. I would be more inclined to revisit that given the fact that we took a detour and <laughs> went and read Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Okay? And I, I I I don't even need to get into spoilers because if you've read it you know exactly what I'm talking about. I I could reconsider my position based on a completely unrelated book and story somewhere very different in the Cosmere.
0: That's fair. We can talk about that more at the, um, at the end and I'll, I'll leave it at that, but there is something that I want to bring up Um, maybe a little elephant in the room for those of us or for the, for the listeners who have read the whole Cosmere and then followed along with us in our detour of Yumi that I, I feel like there's a that, that there's a big acknowledgement that we really haven't acknowledged on this on this podcast for, for Elliot specifically, but we'll we, we can talk about that later. So Seizid at the beginning of part two creeps into creepy Inquisitor Castle with uh, Marsh, right? He takes a rubbing of this inscription and in this episode he really gets to sit down and i i think he reads it like the whole thing for us does does he not i I think he reads the whole thing and if not most of
2: it
3: yeah
0: yeah um like from beginning to end like there's a whole taped off section of this was the rubbing and what what did you think of the did you get anything out of it Elliot?
2: A couple notes. N- nothing concrete yet. It's n- not only is it like the epigraphs, it literally is the epigraphs. Okay. And so it, it comes in the form of information that is clearly important, but intentionally without enough context for you to know why. Right. And so it's one of those things where I, I start taking notes on it, but I can't really make assumptions on it yet. I'm trying to review here to make sure this is the section that it talks about. It. is this where we get the name Quan, or is that elsewhere? I think it is. Now I'm not seeing If we get that, maybe later in the same chapter. Anyway, I wrote down that uh, we just oh no, there is, yeah, yeah yeah. So we 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 discovered that the author of this inscription, his name is Quan, World Bringer of Terrace, and I think says Muses on that term "world bringer," referencing it as a like precursor order to the keepers, basically the 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 knowledge sustainers of the time before him. So maybe kind of a distant ancestor in a way, intellectual ancestor perhaps of it himself. Yeah, writing this down. Um, but Juan himself is is somewhat of a quandary. In that he like enjoy that. He uh no
3: <laughs> he, he, <laughs>
2: threw that in just for you. The he he like contradicts himself in his own writing. He like doesn't trust himself. He's talking about Alendi, the hero of ages. I've discovered him, I've brought him to the fore. Oh, and by the way, I'm a complete fraud. And like it's like, <laughs> okay, buddy, not not sure what you're going on and on about. Again, I don't quite have enough context to figure out what you're talking about, but yeah, I think that's all I learned from that
3: excerpt. Fair enough. If you didn't...
0: Uh, I, I do want to talk about that, but I can't talk about it without spoilers, unfortunately. So, I'm not even going <laughs> to try. I can imagine. Okay. The, the, there's a big assembly meeting, and Set reveals himself that he's in the city. And he has—he clearly has some supporters from the Ska merchant ca- cast of the of the assembly. Um. So, set takes refuge in one of the abandoned keeps all of from the old final empire where the old lords used to sit, and now set is in the city. Elliot, did you see this coming? Nope,
3: <laughs> not not at all. I, I
2: also was caught off guard by the fact that you, you mentioned this at the beginning that I neglected to reference in my, my intro. Not only does Set sneak into the city, assert himself at the very assembly where they're talking about what they need to do to protect the city against him, nominate himself for king, he's also apparently a cripple. And wields this impressively authoritarian figure, and yet, you know, can't even stand above those around him. You, 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 you pretty much always mentally attribute, you know, a very domineering type character with someone who's tall and big and who like walks into the room and demands attention just by their their figure. You know, that's like when we re- when we read about Strath Venture, I can't not picture some kind of bulky person behind that persona that comes in wielding a kind of similar in a lot of ways very full of himself very confident personality and yet he's he's a cripple he can't even he can't even stand up to address the the assembly so fascinating fascinating
3: character
0: here yeah i uh i think Set is the most interesting antagonist that we've had in this series so far. the uh, up until this point, everything in the way of our heroes has kind of felt pretty black and white um sets, sets an interesting one he, He's incredibly
2: blunt yes and it's I, I feel like I relate with Ellen in this moment and that it's he's so blunt, it's off-putting. We, we've just come from Strath Venture, who is constantly manipulating, constantly posturing, constantly trying to get his way or assert his dominance. And then Set just comes in and says, well, just make me king. Why? Because you should. Because I'll kill you if you don't. Like Just, you know, straight up. He's almost so obvious and straight to the point that you're you're not sure if you can trust him like are you are you just being brutally honest all the time or are you doing that on purpose to try and throw me off like I, I'm with Ellen because I think Ellen feels that way
0: yeah I, I'm i interested where What where it goes with Set? With because now he's in the city he has a fortification of his own I, I'm curious if they there's a lot of frenemies in this in this book. The Straff and Set are, are frenemies now. Elland and Set are frenemies now. There's a Coloss army showing up, who's not friends with anyone except for maybe Elland because Jastis is at the head of the Coloss army. But does that really matter? I don't know. It kind of there's some interesting dynamics about to take place. I think. What else? Anything else? Uh
2: definitely struck me as a phenomenally terrible idea for the assembly to vote to allow set to enter the city with a small army to take up residence so they can negotiate with him like it i think it's plausible and that set has them pretty terrified and maybe awestruck with his power play of showing up at the assembly so i I believe that it might happen of a terrified assembly, but what a horribly—what are you thinking? Moment where warlord on your doorstep wants to take over your city. He walks in and says, "Hey, can I stay?" And you say, "Yeah, sure. There's an empty keep over there. You can have that one." I'm I'm over here saying,
0: "What?" Ellen. I think Ellen's the only one that votes against it. And the vote's like 23 to 1 or something?
3: Something like that.
0: Because was... he, he threatens that his army's instructed to attack at dawn, assuming he doesn't return. Um, And so they're like, okay, you can do whatever you want.
2: Yeah, Seth's, Seth's definitely got the upper hand. I'm not quite sure what the right word is. Conversationally, he, he's, he's got the momentum going his way, and everyone else is just kind of... Going with
1: it, he he has uh, the word you're looking for is actually a hip new term called the Riz. <laughs> Set actually has, uses the Riz here. Um, if Hold you're on, unfamiliar with the
0: term, does Elliot really not know what this word means? The El- riz. Elliot has no idea what this. Oh my is. I'm, about to,
1: I'm about to explain it. I'm about to explain it. So the Riz, for those of you who have not heard the term. Is the new hip kid's way of saying just charisma. Like you got the Riz, you have charisma. Yeah. And it's just it's just being smooth, it's being likable, it's having a presence kind of when you walk in the room or when you're talking to someone, right? Um and, and that's 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 all he really has. He he's in here in the middle of enemy territory, essentially, and just says, like, hey, I'll be your king You know, and it's just like the that's some you know some Chad alpha male energy. You know he walks in there with the Riz. You know, and uh, <laughs> and, and and that's that's where we are. So that that's that's kind of what he has going for him. You know, it's it's almost like a. I think of the phrase "fake it till you make it." I feel like he walks in and he's just gonna be like, "Yeah, I'll be your king," and and like really sell it really hard, even though like looking at it. Like, like, take a step back, look at it, be like, no, that's a horrible idea. We don't want you to be our king. But, like, he, he's going to push it. He's going to try and grab that, like, initial interest and initial thought, make an interesting point, and then try to have everyone be like, dang, we should just give the city to him, you know? That'd be way better than dying, right? You know?
0: All right, I'm interested. We're going to do a poll. Comment below if... One, if you knew what Riz meant before the beginning of the episode, and two, if you did not, and we're gonna see roughly the age demographic of our audience. Um, yes. Uh, for for down uh, below, so let us know if you knew what Riz meant before the, uh, the beginning of the episode.
1: For for context, also, I feel like I should legally include that I uh, I volunteer with a, a local youth group, and so that's why I know the hip terms. <laughs> So, (laughs) I have
0: no such excuse. I'm just turning. I apparently. I'm just terminally online. So, that's my excuse.
2: I I apparently do not hang out enough with the youth
1: of today because I just added a new word to my vocabulary. Yeah. Riz. He's got Riz. It's a good one. It's a good one.
0: I feel smarter. All right. Vin is still trying. I, I feel like this was. dropped on us in part one and this has not moved anywhere since um she is still trying to find the conjure imposter among the the palace staff slash her inner circle and she i think the last person in the crew is Daxon, right and they have a conversation um and she approaches Dachson and, and asks him, do you still feel the same way you felt two years ago? And it, she like purposely makes the question vague to see if he can recall exactly what she's talking about. And Sanderson writes it in a way where he responds vague at first to where he kind of makes you think, "Wait, so he's not playing his cards either, doesn't know what she's talking about. And then it turns out he does know what she's talking about. And at least in Vin's mind, Dachshund is cleared by the end of the episode here. So that leaves one person um, kind of in the inner circle. And I wouldn't even call him in the inner circle. He's just kind of there right now. um, And that's Demu. And at the end of Chapter 33, Demu is sneaking out of the palace. And Vin immediately like, it, it was on her mind anyway, but Vin immediately assumes, oh, this guy's sneaking out to go give someone information, or something like that. So then um, assumes that Demu is the imposter. So I guess, I guess there's some movement there. Um, and we've certainly gotten eliminations up until this point, maybe once per episode. There's, an, there's a crew member that's eliminated from the list. So, is there anyone on the inner circle that is not confirmed at this point, besides Dachshund, which is a most likely no. I think everybody's cleared except for maybe Ellen.
2: I think Vin even thinks about Ellen at one point where she's like, Okay, I think I've cleared everyone but Ellen, but surely it can't be Ellen. And so she moves on. The only one I'm trying to remember
0: is clubs. Did we clear clubs yet? I think we hit everybody else. No, we haven't done clubs yet. We have not done I think clubs maybe yet. Maybe
2: clubs. Clubs might be the one that's left. Okay. But I, I did feel like Vin's evidence here for Captain Demu was pretty circumstantial. She she literally looks out her window, sees him sneaking out of the castle, and she thinks to herself, ooh. He's acting really sneaky. (laughs) Must be him. Mystery solved. Done. And she's like 100% convinced. 100%. No doubt in her mind. And the chapter, oh, must be him. He's sneaking out. And I'm... Okay, then. I I, I am less than
0: convinced, I'll say that. What do do we know about Demu at this point? Has he done anything cool? He's kind of just been almost
2: an extra at this point like he's always Mm -hmm. in the scene but never really has more than a short line he's there to support he watches the stuff yeah not
0: really yeah anywhere where there's more than like four people in the meeting he's kind of just there um right in the first book he was the the loyal captain for to Kelsier who Keeps half the army safe, but other than that, he really has not done that much.
2: Which, to maybe argue for Vin's case here, I mean that that is exactly the style of a spy. They're just kind of they're just kind of always there. They kind of just always end up in the in the room they need to be in to hear the stuff, and right. they're not they're not saying too much. They're so kind of flying under the radar. You barely notice them. So if if come the end of this, it is Demu who's this Kandra undercover spy, I- I'm not going to be shocked. It's going to be like, oh, okay, I could see that. I'm just highly questionable of Vin's body of evidence so far that I think is a little slim.
0: Fair enough. Anything else before we get into a little further Cosmere spoiler territory? Do
1: you have a thought, Paul? You look like you have a thought before I jump in. I do have a thought, and my thought is actually that I'm really excited to talk about it in uh, s- spoiler, uh, Stormlight spoiler context. Okay.
3: Okay.
2: Okay. Uh, one quick thing before we go there, I just I stumbled upon a quote in chapter 33 that just grabbed me because I felt like it did a really good job of of summing up the entire Mistborn series thus far. It's uh it's a conversation.
3: I gotta find it on the on the page. It's a conversation about Dachshund and Kelsier and Vin.
2: We're in Vin's perspective at this point. And she's chatting. I think this is Doxon. He's rambling. No, it's not Doxon. This might be Vin's thoughts. I think this is Vin's thoughts. She says this. and held some of that same hardness. Hell and dox weren't evil men, but there was an edge of vengefulness to them. Oppression had changed them in ways that no amount of peace, reformation, or recompense could redeem. Hmm. And I just read that thinking, wow, that's, that's kind of our whole story so far. We we have heroes. We have people who are are trying to do the right thing, but they have this this edge to them. They have this chip on their shoulder or this hardness, as Vin says, that comes from the oppression of their past. They they've seen such horrible things that we've gotten exposed to occasionally. The 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 torture-loving inquisitors, the just Tyrannical rule of the, the Lord ruler, the the broken politics, all of all of this, this whole system meant to oppress others. And like the question is is kind of left out there. Can you have a hero in a world like this? Can you have someone who's not scarred by such evil and doesn't carry that hardness with them? Like that really got me thinking of that that's partially turned me off of this story a little bit and that our heroes are a little bit gray. They're a little bit gray They they have maybe an edge to them where you're, you kind of wonder sometimes, Well, oh, he he's Kelsey he's a survivor. He's the, the bringer of hope. And he kind of does some questionable stuff sometimes. And you've got breeze who he's a hero. We know he, he wants, you know, what's good at heart, but at the same time, he's not going to question manipulating someone to get what he wants. That that's kind of our, a running theme here, I feel, is it's a it's a world with heroes, but it's a dark world, and kind of comes with dark heroes.
0: I like that. I like that summary. At least I don't know if I like the concept, but I, I do like the yeah kind of wrapping the whole thing up in that one concept.
2: Vin Vin summarized it for me well, so I had to share.
3: That's good. Anything else before we get into Stormlight stuff? not over here. All right.
0: You are warned because this is about to get real heavy, real real fast. Um should we get into what we previewed with Yumi earlier first or should we get into this other topic that we have on the outline?
2: I feel like the Yumi reference is a pretty quick one, but then you made a com- comment making it seem like there's more to it. So, I'll make my simple comment and then let you build on it as apparently you want to all all that i was referencing is the the shroud it, right. in in on yumi's planet which i gosh can't even remember the name of it now because it's only mentioned like once at the very end
0: uh start with the k, k-, mm, k- cannot, mm. no k- k- kamashi
3: on,
2: Co- i think you're right Maybe something like that. Yumi's planet, that that may or may not be named Kamashi. Yes, on on that place. Of course, we have this long drawn out story with the shroud, and we finally learn that okay, the shroud is investiture. It is a being. It is like the souls of people. It arguably has a sentience to it. In Mistborn One. I'm very quick to dismiss the mist in Mistborn 1.
0: You dismissed it?
2: As it, I did. <laughs> I ugh, now, the, now the words are jumbling together in my brain. I dismissed the mist because I did not need to tie it to the deepness. Seemed too obvious. Gone. Then we go read Yumi, which is all about a dark, swirling, misty thing that's maybe a little thicker than that. Soup mist that very much has powers and influences the story. So now I walk into Mistborn 2 very much thinking mm, maybe I need to reconsider my mist as a bigger part of the the story here. So when Vin jumps on the whole oh clearly the mist is deepness a- again with her whole contra theory I- I'm quick to dismiss her evidence but maybe I'm not fully against her theory. Right? So
0: what what I'm Asking myself genuinely, because I don't remember the answer to this' Cause, so at the end of Yumi, one of the big reveals is how the shroud got there that so Hoyt sits us down and gives us a history lesson of oops, we made a machine that churns out investiture into I don't remember what the what the goal of it was um but it's it's gonna grab investiture that it finds or the, the he own lines and turns out there's a little bit of investor in everybody, so it's just gonna start grabbing souls and churning out stuff. Um so now my question, returning back to Mistborn, is okay, where did the mist come from? Because sure. there seems to be that there are plenty of authors who would just give you a planet and say this is a planet and there's mist on it at night and never explain it or give you any reason as to why. Uh, Brandon Sanderson is not one of them. He, he will always, and, and maybe this is, maybe I'll be proven wrong here. Um, Cause I don't remember if this is true or not. He will always give you a reason for something being weird. Um, on on a, on a planet that so here's here's something weird about or, this planet and here's why because there's this weird thing that happened a long time ago
2: and it, and it seems clear too even if that reason never shows up in his story he still has one right and will happily accidentally drop it at a convention if you ask him about it right like there's always a reason it's just a question of are you going to get it exposed to you in this in the story
0: right so. Because the Shroud was such a big plot point of how it got there, and that was a big reveal in the end of Yumi, now I'm coming back to Mistborn and wondering, okay, how did the Mist get there? Because it's been explicitly told to us that it was not there pre-Well of Ascension, not the book, the place, um, pre-I the, I should say the Lord Ruler. It was not there pre-the Lord Ruler. The Lord Ruler takes his place... The mist somehow shows up and then the Lord Ruler is oh. gone and now the mist is still there. Um, the, I'll, I'll let you ep- epiphanize here in a second, Elliot, but it's it was also briefly mentioned Mistborn at the end of last book. Mistborn did not exist before the mist. And Vin has a one line of dialogue in her internal thinking of like, I always just thought Mistborn had to do with we jump around at night, but maybe it has some more literal connotation. So there is obvious food for thought there of where did the mist come from and why. So now that's where I'm at after reading Yumi. I'll take your thought one further. Again, kind of,
2: Playing off some ideas maybe inspired by yumi in, in yumi the machine sucks up all the people and then belches out this soul soup which is the shroud what if what if our mist in miss on mistborn on Scadrial, is the deepness defeated what if the deepness was a more confined specific monster being or whatever, Lord Ruler defeats it, it then dissipates into the mist. Oh, okay. So the, the, the mist is the defeated state of the deepness. And what's happening now for some unknown reason, now that the Lord Ruler's gone, and what Vin is maybe experiencing is maybe maybe the deepness is reforming. Hmm. Maybe it's slowly in this process of recovering and reshaping itself into the deepness and so maybe mist is not necessarily perfectly equivalent to deepness but it is the the safe the defeated version of the deepness and it's slowly forming itself back into a dangerous version
3: okay that that might that might be an official theory that might be an official theory at this point okay
0: is the so before the Lord Ruler defeats it, is the deepness just like some malevolent cloud, like that wanders around the Final Empire, and you have to run away from it, high storm style, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
2: or or, or even a, a a monster like a literal bee monster. You know, think Nightmare from Yumi, an okay. actual creature, yeah, with corporeal form, and upon being defeated Breaks up into this much less harmful mist. And it's now that the Lord Ruler is not there to stop it, it is reforming its power. It's gaining, it's gathering up the ability to reform itself into that creature it was before. Okay.
3: Yeah, I like that. All right.
0: What else? There's a big one. there's a reveal in chapter 33 that we didn't want to talk about until we had some other context. What is it? It's our
1: I short friends. I got the, excited. The
3: mention about this. of our friends, at least. I got excited about this.
2: And I felt a little guilty getting excited about this. Because a first-time misborn reader is 100% for sure not going to know what is happening here if they don't have other Cosmere knowledge and a lot of other Cosmere knowledge. Yeah. You you can probably have read three or four or five other Cosmere books and still not know what just got referenced here in chapter 33. And I almost feel guilty that I do, simply because I've just kind of been around this world for three-plus years now I've, I've picked up enough knowledge from studying other books and talking about it with you guys that when in chapter 33, Orser and Vin are having a conversation and Orser just casually drops, oh, and by the way, you humans are, uh, are, are of ruin and we, Condra are of preservation. And, and both of those words are conveniently capitalized. I immediately key in on them and say, aha, aha, I, I don't have proof yet, but I do have vague references to it from elsewhere and enough Cosmere knowledge to put together that this has got to be a reference to
0: our shards. Specifically two, and that's important, because yeah, we, we learned, I believe in Arcanum, that the shards we're supposed to agree to settle separately and any shard that settles near another shard there's going to be issues um and we, we've read 4000 page stormlight books on why that's the case um so now with the rev- with that knowledge and the reveal that there's two shards on skadriel um you can start to reframe um, you, you can start to reframe the story uh, or, or what's happening on skadriel a little bit differently um with that knowledge, or at least there were that the, the, there there were two shards influencing it at one time. I don't it remains to be seen if they're still here, but I'll, I'll say that.
2: All, I've got a, a question for you and your perspective. When, when you read this the first time, one, were you reading closely enough? And two, did you have enough Cosmere knowledge to notice this
1: now, in this moment? So at the time that I was reading this, even for the first time, I did recognize this. I did understand ruin and preservation. Those are shards. You are of ruin. We are of preservation. My red flags went off pretty quick. Um... And, um, I didn't. I probably didn't spend that much time dwelling on it. I probably didn't sit here and theorize too much, which is why I'm glad we get to do so now, um, that I get to do so with y'all. But I pro, I, I kind of took it in passing. But I, but it like definitely had my guard way up, or, or my my sensor way up for anything else that would be happening. I did try to think like. Like the Condra versus the rest, like like ruin versus preservation, are like. I mean, we know the Condra are very different, but are they like? I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's just a. I feel like I have the outline of a puzzle, but none of the like middle of the puzzle, you know. And so, um, I didn't really know what to make of it at that at that point.
2: Trevor, you asked an interesting question or alluded to it, as you were talking about that which was like what does this tell us about the current state of scadrial right and i you know all all we have to go off of right now are two words ruin and preservation but i feel like based on what we know generally about shards there's a lot we can infer based on simply their names right and the fact that you have two extremely different concepts ruin and preservation that that seems like two things it would be actively trying to achieve, achieve opposite goals one is trying to destroy one is trying to preserve like yeah
3: that that seems like it would come with a lot of conflict yeah
0: there i don't remember if we do get this or not i hope there's a schedule history lesson somewhere like but within i, I want to know what has happened um between ruin and preservation to get to this point and maybe once it, it may not be in era one it may not be in era two i don't remember um but i would i would love to hear what has happened between ruin and preservation um so yes, the, the it's a name drop for you, Elliot. I don't know if it means that much for a first time Mistborn reader. Yeah. You'll you'll read it and you'll. I'm I'm trying to imagine because I I was not a first time Cosmere reader reading Mistborn, so I at least was mildly aware. I so here's here's what I'll say on this as we. As Vin discovered more of her powers, I and as I was listening at work, I texted Tim. And I said, What if Vin is using the same magic system that Kaladin is using? Like what if what if Vin is a night's radiant? I think was my my text. And Tim replies to me and says, Well, do you know about The Cosmere, capital C. And this is having, after I'd read the first three Stormlight books and then immediately picked up Mistborn. And so I I didn't know about like an interconnected universe at that point. Uh, No one had told me. So when I, I thought I was original and cool thinking like, wait, what if Kaladin's powers are tied to Vin's powers? And that's that's what I was texting Tim about. And he's like, well, do you know about Investiture, Capital I? I'm like, no, um, and so then he gave me a little bit of a lesson. And he's like, well, they're they're two different magic types, but they're within the same world. So feasibly, one person off out of Mistborn could meet somebody out of Stormlight. That's all he said, and so then from there I started building. Okay, I I can kind of piece together what applies on Scadrial and what does not um, based on that kind of base-level knowledge I had reading The Well of Ascension. I knew that there was possibility of overlap, but that this was something clearly different. So, bring that back to Ruin and Preservation. What we know of shards is they're rather stubborn in their intention and their goal. So one track, yes, they they they're one sixteenth of a person in their intent, capital I intent. So preservation, um, I don't know if preservation. Just, let, let's take preservation just for their own shard for a second. If preservation were, were to take their own system, I feel like that would be a pretty crappy system because nothing would ever. The change equal bad for preservation, right? Like, by definition, I'm going to keep everything exactly as it is. Well, if you live in a utopia, great. You know, like, if you've invented everything there is to invent, if you know everything there is to know, great. And then ruin, if ruin were to have its own system, that would also be a very poor place to live because... What's the physics term where everything, like, is in a natural? state? Yeah, thank you. Where everything is naturally going to break apart into single atoms eventually, or something like that. I don't know. I, I'm not a scientist. Um, it, ent- it, entropy is that the, is that the term? Um, yeah, the the, the gradual de- decline into disorder is how it's yeah, often there. You
2: go find is so.
0: I feel like ruin would be the king of entropy where everything is eventually going to break apart. So, if you take both ruin and preservation put them together on one planet, that obviously two very opposing forces and you you I at least would lean towards preservation's going to be the better of the two shards um or or the more good if you will of the two shards. But if you take it from like a purely zoomed out perspective, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. That they're just two opposing forces. Ethics, ethics aside, they're just going to be trying to accomplish different things.
2: Yeah, very, very much so. That makes a, a lot of sense, and perhaps gives at least me a new way to think about a new way to think about schedule, which. Even having heard these names before ruin and preservation i i hadn't i di- I didn't have a context to put them in and now I do now I know what schedule looks and feels like, so to now take these two words and kind of juxtapose them with what I know of the the ash covered schedule, I can start to go okay m- maybe I start to look for where's ruin's influence where's preservation's influence, and things might start to I feel like things might start to fall in place. Maybe that's just me hoping, but. We shall see. I will say two, two specific things do jump out at me as. I don't want to jump to say as aligned with these two, but seem to be related. W- when I read ruin, I immediately think of the deepness. The deepness has been kind of told to us as a, Evil or destroying force. It seems to be a destroying force. I've stopped the deepness from destroying everything, potentially ruin, or have something somewhat in some way to do with ruin. Preservation, I actually think of the Lord Ruler. Yeah. What did the Lord Ruler do? Preserved himself for thousands of years, or a thousand or two thousand. So I, again, don't know quite where to go with that yet, but. I'm now starting – I'm going to start to categorize, I think, maybe, on some things. And that those are my first two. My first two entries in my ruin and preservation categories.
0: Not the two that are given to you in the book? The humans and – Oh, of course, <laughs> yes.
2: But that's – okay, yes. Given to me, but of less of less immediate interest to me. Right. Re- relevant to the, the greater story, yeah, very potentially. Humans of, of ruin of preservation okay that could be very helpful later but in my immediate puzzle of trying to unravel who the heck is what and what i need to care about i'm going to start trying to put those kinds of things into either the ruin bucket or the preservation bucket
3: sounds good anything else oh what one
2: brief note that we missed in here Orsir talks about humans and Kondra, but also mentions one other being, Holos. Holos are in the same exact conversation and are mentioned specifically in relation to Kondra. Okay. He he makes some vague comments, which the, the conversation is a little long, so I probably won't go read it. But he basically says humans are of ruin. Kondra are of kolos. No, no, sorry. Chondra are of preservation. Holos are the pawns in this whole thing, and my people always feel bad for them because we kind of share this thing. And Vin's like, whoa, 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 wait, what? And he's like, uh, sorry, I shouldn't have said anything. Moving on. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. Chondra and
3: Holos. Weird. Weird.
0: I don't. I don't remember any ties between them, so. I'm not sure how much use I'll be here. He, he I, says impressively with a
1: straight face. Uh-huh. I will say that I do know. <laughs> and so I will not say anything. <laughs> That's my tactic here. The
2: the answer is and always will be till we finish them all. Read and find out, I guess.
0: That's true. But one quick thing that Elliot has in the outline that we didn't get to touch on uh the term world bringer was oh, brought yeah. up and that is one letter away from a different term that we've received in the past so what what do you th- is there any parallels here oh as soon as i read that i that the conspiracy
2: theory started to blossom. I became like that, the guy in the meme with the red threads on the wall tying this to that because I thought it was the same thing. Mm. When I read it and it said, Juan the Worldbringer, I was like, we know Worldbringers. So I whip open my, my Stormlight book, I flip through and I'm like, I remember this it's it's Hoyd and his um his guy whose name i'm blanking on right now
0: say no um, i always call him uh, S- uh, S- uh, shoot, sigzil right thank you he's one Sig-Zil, of my favorite characters you. how did i forget his name sigzil yes I, I agree yes and so i'm like oh Hoyd and sigzil
2: they're world bringers oh wait nope they're world singers singers yes not world bringers. Way to make that intentionally confusing, Brandon. But they, they, they seem to fill similar roles. The, the world singers on Roshar seem to fill a, a similar purpose as world bringers on Scadrill and keepers like Seized and that they are the sharers of knowledge or the custodians of knowledge, perhaps. The tellers of stories, the maintainers of history, if you will. So seems like very, very similar, different planet, two letters different in their name. Gosh darn it, I was about to spin crazy theories for hours on end and was not
1: So I, ha- I have thoughts on this, though. What if there was one original world... I don't know, something, something else. World Dancer, let's say, for example. <laughs> um, and he like, almost similar to it has, like, been to all the systems and stuff, and basically started this whole, like, world whatever order on each one, but, like, you know. He had four kids, got... world bringer, world singer, world stalker, there you go. And world, you know, uh, yeah, who knows. Uh, submit your, your, uh, world singer parallel names below. Um, but so so my my thought with this is kind of sad because Sigzel is one of my favorite characters in the bridge crew, like probably one of my very favorite bridge members from from his um, when we first met him. I will say the whole point that he is a world singer felt really important for a little while and now it's not really anything. It's not much. There's not much to it. I'm like, it's awesome. Whatever your scope is kind of zoomed in, and you meet someone who's like, oh, I basically know everything about all the places in Roshar or on schedule or wherever, you know? Um, and that's fantastic. But here, I- I'm... I'm Given Sigzel's character, how it pans out, it makes me think that this is probably just... It's probably just a little detail. It may not be that big. It may just be a title to sound super important and it does have importance when you're zoomed in but in the full scope of our story I don't know if it'll be that important fair enough alright anything else for
0: episode 166 gentlemen
2: no, don't think so
0: alright let's reconvene next week we will be closing part 3 and I will see you guys then thanks for joining me Paul and Elliot knock for now Noodles.